this podcast in the series Iron Golf Mind, and I'm speaking today with James Tompkins. James is a, a veteran Olympian. He's been to six Olympic Games, which not too many people can boast. And even more than that, he was a gold medalist three times and also won a bronze. So medalist in four different Olympics, which is quite amazing, as well as seven world championships. James, welcome and thank you for having a chat. Thank you, Peter. It's uh, my pleasure. I'm really intrigued. Having been to six Olympic Games, so we're, we're talking a like an elite rowing career over more than 20 years. So over that period of time, very few athletes are able to sustain a period of com- competition for that length of time. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it is a long time. I mean, when we were, yeah, we had a lot of success at the elite level, sort of a, a bunched success from 1990 through to 2004, I guess. But yeah, to have, and that's a, a function of you know where we're actually training, who we're rowing with, and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, like from 1988 was the first games to 2008, and I sort of kept you know decent performance all the way through. But that sweet spot in the middle was probably uh, you know from 90 through to 2004 was probably the sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it is it is it's over a long period of time, and um, we always after each games we'd always have a year off. Yeah. You know, so it'd be in, in the four-year cycle, it would be sort of one year completely away from the sport. I mean, you're, being, you're keeping active and running and yeah. cycling and surfing and you know, mucking around in that regard. But, um, yeah, just to get away from it. And I really found that got me really keen and motivated to get back to doing it as well. So um, I think that was one of, the, one of the reasons why we were able to away. I was able to keep going over a long period of time. That's really interesting, taking a year break, because a lot of athletes will take one or two years off the sport, and we've seen a number of swimmers over the last um, two or three Olympic Games attempt to make comebacks, uh, and not successfully. Yeah, and I've, I've spoken to the swimmers about that, and they're almost scared to get away from the sport and to lose feel for the water. And mm. It's like, you're not going to... You don't forget how to swim. Like, you've got that ability, and it's always there. It Maybe it's latent, and you've just got to draw it out. But... Um, and I think if there's, you know, using swimming as an example, if there's a lot of swimmers that are, oh, you can't take time off. I mean, that's... That becomes a shame. Yeah, exactly. You, 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 but we say, oh, it's fantastic. You take time off, keep yourself in decent nick, get back onto the water, and you're, like, you're really keen and ready to learn again and, um, and pick up new things. The other thing we realised was that, you know, to, to be basically to row quickly... You have really good technique. Mm-hmm. You'll be really fit and, and strong. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to satisfy that. Mm. You don't have to be on the water all the time, every session. And uh, in two, you know, 2004, we almost went the other way. We had more sessions away from the boat. We did have more sessions away from the boat. There was two thirds away from the boat and one third on the water mm. so and that's where you just got to back yourself that those skills are in place and they've practiced and they're, they're really good under duress but just trust what you're doing and and understand the successes that it brings mentally the, the freshness it's not a chore to go mm. and get on the water it's actually great <laughs> to get away from all this other cross training 
So, so we, chip, we you know, chipped away at different things all the time, finding new ways to get that fitness and strength and agility and whatnot. So. One of the things that, uh, that you notice is that around you with the club, there was uh, a camaraderie or an energy that, that seemed to... I'm, assume, I'm, I'm just reading into what you said about it sustained you and it helped to sustain over a period of time. Oh, absolutely. Like everyone's... Um, yeah, you're never, you're never satisfied with your own performance. Mm-hmm. And so you've got your crew mates and then your coach and then you, you know, your dietitian and your physiologist and your weights coach and all these other people, physio, um, physiotherapists and masseurs, and they're all, they're all your, the team around you. And to be able to include them in your... It's fantastic because you're the centre of attention, which is great. <laughs> you don't mind, but yeah, everyone's everyone's around you, trying to help you go as well as you possibly can. So you got to share the improvement with them, and they absolutely make up a big part of it. But but also the questioning, like we did a lot of questioning of our coaches. You know, when they say, "Oh, we're going to go and do X workload," well, why? Hmm. And so it puts the onus back on the coach. Well, man, why is that? Actually, it's a very good question. Why are we doing that? Is it just because we've done it for the last 20 years or is it because there's a, you know, a really meaningful reason? Or, gee, maybe I should go back and talk to the physiologist and see, is this the right... We're trying to achieve this. Is this the right thing, the perfect thing to be doing to achieve that? And, my, yeah, often it was right, but sometimes... Yeah, we could adjust it, but more importantly, it gave us a huge amount of confidence and our coach a huge amount of confidence that yes, you know, research, just don't do it because you've been doing it for the last 20 years, mm. but actually research it and test it and work out, well, yeah, you are right. So, um, you know, there's nothing better sitting on the start line knowing that everything that you've done has been absolutely spot on. Mm. I think the questioning is really important because if, if there's any doubt, then there's going to be hesitation. And, yeah. and, I'll say to students that I'm coaching, you know, if there is any doubt at all, just question what I'm asking. Because if I can't give an answer that's satisfactory, then you're not going to do it. Yeah. And I guess the other thing from from your coach's perspective is that he know, if he knows that he's going to be questioned about what he's doing, then he'll make sure that he has researched his Absolutely. work before yeah. he even speaks yeah. to you. Yeah, and so that's the joint confidence. We've got a huge amount yeah. of confidence in the coach, and he, and we've got it in ourselves because mm-hmm. we're. Um, we know that what he's saying is absolutely spot on and so we're going to commit fully to it because um, we know it's the right path. Yeah. There's a lot, of ath- a lot of rowers in the world who are brilliant rowers, technically. There's a lot of rowers in the world that are strong and fit. But you are able to achieve success against all those other rowers who are looking to train similarly, so it, there's an edge. Did you have a clue as to what that is? What, what uh, do you see as that is? Well, I was always... I mean, this is... Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. It's probably the same in the golfing world. There's people that can swing, swing it exactly the same. Or similarly, mm. you know. But I always had a... I had a lot of confidence in myself. And this is probably a sad indictment, but... I had a lot of confidence in myself and I was lazy. Mm-hmm. So I was always trying to find... You know, if the coach said we're going to go and row 21 kilometres, I wouldn't row. I would make sure that I wouldn't row a metre further than I had yeah. to or something. Um, and I would find the easiest way to do that. 
So in a backward way, that taught me the, the importance of efficiency. Yeah. Well, of time management and the ability to say no, but yeah. also efficiency. If I'm going to get through a pretty solid session with the boat going as quick as it possibly could, but I would want to reduce my effort as much yeah. as I could. It teaches you technique effectively in a backward sort of a way. So, so there was that confidence and then confidence in myself that I could actually do the, the stroke really, really efficiently. And so when we were running the four, you know, the other guys got onto that and uh, we realised that technique was absolutely, absolutely vital. I mean, when you're going six minutes flat out, either you want your flat out speed to be faster or you want to be able to match it with the other crews when you're doing 97, 98% and it gives you that little buffer to be able to push away at the end. And physically that was really important, but then, you know, the technical side... When you're absolutely under duress, you know, you're going, you're right on the limit. That's when your skills can't afford to break down. Mm. And that's when it's got to be automatic. Really, really good skills need to be automatic. Not there, thereabouts automatic, but absolutely spot on automatic. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons why we're, why we're quick. Yeah. So we had the physical attributes, but also that athleticism. You know, you stretch like a golf swing. You're like you're so in such a weird position, and your body, yeah, you know, your hands and trunk is right at the extreme of its range. But you want to be able to control everything at that extreme, not yeah. just get there and flap it around. That was one of the keys. And then because you're, yeah, that would drive training sessions. So whilst you're doing the physical component of the training session, you're learning. And you're really focusing on that technique, so you're really switching on the brain and all the connective tissue and all that sort mm. of stuff that gets, you know, that's the memory, that's the muscle memory. Not just going out and flogging yourself for 20Ks and coming in and, right, tick, I've done the workload. Flog yourself, but also work on the technique at the same time. So very purposeful training. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And with those trainings there's obviously going to be a strong intent behind what it is that you're going to do if you're going to do the 21ks and not 21ks in one meter mm. that you're going to do it properly and so yeah. that workload is what creates the automation particularly mm. when you focus specifically on what you're doing yeah and then with uh, absolutely you know each training session and it's interesting when you're with a, with a team of a pair four or eight uh, you know every training session like i would over a couple of weeks period, I would have one thing that I was struggling with and that I would need to work on. But the crew would also have something, and it might be the same or it might be mm. different. So, yeah, every training session, yeah, I've got to work on my individual thing that I'm working on, but the crew had to work on something as well. So there was an absolute purpose in each, in each session. Mm. And mean, then when it came to testing ourselves, so yeah. you do that for a month or so, and then when it comes to testing yourself, instead of going out and doing five 1,000 metre pieces to test your speed, do one. Yeah. Because it's the one. You, there's no, you know, they don't, if you stuff it up in a race at the Olympic Games, they don't say, oh, bad luck, you know, come back to the start and we'll do that again. It's, you know, it's golf, you get one shot. Yeah. It's not a mulligan. Exactly. Well, it becomes a, it becomes a, like a speed endurance thing instead of just a pure speed thing. Mm. You're going to do it multiple times. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's a, that's a great analogy for golf. I'll talk about one ball practice. You know, if you had one ball, that this is your practice session, it's one mm. ball, mm. what would your level of intent be? You'd probably have practice swings if you were working on something technically, you'd monitor that. 
then you'd have another couple of practice swings and be clear on what your target is mm. and then you'd finally hit the ball. Yeah. So you're giving yourself the best possible chance of making a success of that one shot. Yeah. Absolutely. And I do it here, you know, at the range. Uh, you know, if you walk up and say, Peter, watch this one. Yeah. I'm going to flush it. So I like to actually... I might have hit 50 balls beforehand, but this is the one that I need to because I know you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> and so you sort of put yourself in that environment of having to deliver when it counts. Yeah, and you, and you effectively change your state a little bit too. It's mm. like you switched on that a little bit more. Yeah. I want to I come back. You mentioned about, you know, the confidence. So did you have confidence the first time you stepped into a boat? Yeah, like I just I sort of backed myself a bit. So <laughs> With a... anything sort of physical or sporting-wise, I'll... Okay, so there's a general confidence there to be given. Oh, definitely glass half full. Mm-hmm. Like if you said, let's go and play lacrosse, you're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, can, can you play lacrosse? And I'd say, yes. Yes. Like I've never played in my life, but I'd back myself that after 20 minutes, I'd broadly know the skills yeah. and be able to do it. So, yeah. so there's that. I mean, that's me sort of born, I guess, you, it's part of your mental makeup, I guess, a little bit. But, um, but, you know, for someone that's not maybe not quite as confident, as soon as you start achieving things, all of a sudden that confidence is there that um, oh, I can actually shape the ball, you know, low, yeah. left to right sort of thing, or whatever the shot is. But you know, you said, you, and the beauty of what we're talking about before is having a key focus over a couple of weeks. Like each time you tick that off, yeah, that's feeling really comfortable. What does it look like? Yeah, it looks great, James. Keep going. It's like, oh, great, I've made a change. I've been able to improve something. And so each time you do that, every couple of weeks, the confidence is growing and growing that you can actually um, make changes when required Mm. and improve. So you're either watching a boat race, there's someone in in your your club who you're watching and they say, James, can you watch uh, watch me row, watch me compete? And you suspect that the missing ingredient for them is confidence? And then they say, look, yeah, absolutely, you're right. Like, I, I don't back myself properly in the boat. How would you go about, what sorts of things would you do to try and instill or, build, or allow that person to build confidence in themselves? Well, I think, um, I mean, rowing's hard because it's, you know, it is over a long period of time. It's not one shot. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, whether it's confidence or it's just commitment, mm-hmm. the ability to commit to putting together, you know, a really good race. And it comes back to that preparation. Yeah, everything comes back to preparation. If you're prepared really, really well, and you've asked your coach, and your coach is prepared with the answers, and you all agree that you're doing the right thing, you know the ability to sit on the starting line, the ability to sit on the starting line, knowing that you've pretty much done everything you could, and that off the back of that, you're prepared to commit 100% mm-hmm. to the race plan. Um, yeah, that's confidence for me. When you're sitting on the start line, just, well, there's nothing else you could have done mm. in preparation. So just allow the outcome to take care of itself rather than worrying about the outcome. Just let it happen. Mm. Just do what you're supposed to do. And a lot. And I used to, I used to get so wound up. I still do, actually, but uh, I still did at the end of my career. But I used to get so wound up worrying about what was going to happen at the finish line rather than everything that we needed to do yeah. to actually get to the finishing line. Yeah, so I was very much concerned about that end result rather than, what do I need to do? <laughs> you know, the 240 strokes in between the start and the finish, what do I actually need to do to, to get there? So I sort of changed that around 
you know, you've done the preparation, allow the outcome to take care of itself. Mm. Just, you know, don't worry about where the ball's going to go. I mean, worry about where it's going to go, but when you're actually swinging the club, worry about hitting the thing, mm. not where it's going to land. Because the hitting the thing is the most important thing. Yeah, that's interesting. About, you know, still concerned about outcome even at the, at the end of your career. Because that's one of the things we talk about with golfers, you know, don't concern yourself with a score or whatever it is. Mm. And particularly with, with better players, if they're, say, professionals, for example, you know, if they get caught up in thinking about what the number, what the cut number might be yeah. at a tournament. So if, if after two rounds they, they're not in the top 60, they're not playing on the weekend. And oftentimes there'll be a pattern of players who, who are one or two shots higher than what they need to be, so they keep missing the cut, but they only miss by one or two. But there's a pattern of them doing that. Mm. And, and what you were saying is that um, that was still there, but were you able to bring yourself back? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah, and even uh, we had success when you know, I was absolutely scared to race. Yeah. Like in 92, I didn't want to race. I, literally, I did not want to get on the water and go and race because I was so concerned about well, that fear of failure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the start of the go and you just forget all that sort of stuff. So we had a great race. Was it a fear of failure or a fear of, I don't know what the outcome's going to be? Well, probably both, but we were absolutely red-hot favourites that year. Oh, OK. 99 times out of 100, we're going to win that race. Yeah. So if you don't win it, yeah, you've blown it. It's like, you know, I love my golf. And it's like, um, you know, a pro that's, you know, played high school and college and, you know, mm. through all the junior ranks, become a professional, made some dough, kept their card, played a couple of majors get to a major, uh, start competing, you know, at the top level of those, then eventually they're standing over a three-foot putt to win. Mm. And, you know, 99 times out of 100, it's not an issue. Yeah. But when you've spent so much of your time to get to that point and you expect to make it and everyone around you expects you to make it, it is a completely different putt yeah. than out here on a putting green. Doing a hundred putts from three foot. Yeah, holding it's, it's almost like initially it's a relief. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was exactly what we were in ninety two. It was a huge relief. Thank God we got to that line in the right in the position that everyone expected, we expected, got it one because there's no upside. Yes. There is only downside. Yeah. And um, so that's when you're absolutely fixated with the end result. But then the you know, ninety six we changed it and we had this mantra of process equals outcome. You know, if you do all the processes as well as you possibly can, nine times out of ten, the outcome takes care of itself. Yeah. So you just let it, you know, let it happen. And when you let things happen and you relax and you give into it, that's when you get really, really good performances. Yeah. And, and through your training, athletes inevitably get injured. And so when your, uh, you know, when your form drops, or or if there's an injury or an injury to another team member. How do you group together to get yourself through that or get them through that? Oh, well, the first response is just to train hard through an injury. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that's, a, that's a rowing mentality, though, isn't it? No, I think, uh, well, it's so frustrating when um, you can't train. Yeah, incredibly frustrating. And especially, you know, in rowing, it's the ultimate team sport, I think. When you can't train and your others can, and, but you need to be training altogether. I mean, in rowing, that's when your crewmate's confidence in you. Is really important, yeah. Just 
take your time, get yourself right. There's no one better that's in that seat than you. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you just got to be sensible. I mean, as you get older, you just got to be really sensible. Yeah, and yeah, you're sure you're injured, but that that'll heal. And just um, you're not going to forget coming back to the swimmers. You're not going to forget how to row. Yeah, it might take you know if you take a couple of weeks off, it might take you three or four sessions to get back to where you were feel wise. But you're not going to lose fitness. You know, you're not going to lose the feel for the water. Yeah. So how so when you took your year off, how long? Did it actually take to get back into... Um... Uh, yeah, we reckon about six weeks. Mm. And often it's a mental thing of just getting back into the swing of turning up the training every yeah. certain time, every you know, certain period of the day. Yeah. Um, to get into that swing of things and then also just to get the body in its movements going again. And then the last bit was just the, the absolute touch of, you know, water is a very heavy medium and if you do something wrong it really slows the boat down so it's actually a really technical sport mm. as most things are at the elite level but yeah just the the last you know that six week period would be the last couple of weeks where you get the absolute fine control and touch and feel for the water so uh, describe to me a typical training week a typical day would be row yeah, you know, 25, 20, 25 k's in the morning. Probably a couple of hours. Bit of brekkie. Yeah, you know, go for a bike ride. Well, now, yeah, no, I'll say one of our biggest days. Okay, this is our yeah. biggest week in Europe. So, half an hour bike ride to training, two hours on the water, half an hour back, breakfast, get on the bikes, five and a half hours tooling around the Alps, <laughs> the bikes. Uh, have lunch sort of on the road. Or so there's 100 plus, plus k's right there. Yeah. Well over. Come back, nana nap, <laughs> fuel, go to the gym, dinner, go to bed. And just do that day after day after day. Wow. So, but we, you know, we found cycling was fantastic because it's achieving one of those things of, in, of just getting your endurance, yeah. um, your aerobic capacity going in a very easy way to do it. So that was one thing we found that was fantastic instead of doing all those kilometers not that you do five hours on the water but yeah you could do another 20k session mm. on the water but your brain would be numb and you wouldn't be concentrating on technique or anything like that so yeah. let's do one really good session look at some other activity that we could satisfy all the other um, requirements um which was cycling that's enjoyable you're able to chat and take in the scenery and all that sort of stuff so it's mentally refreshing so when you get back on the water you're keen so just looking at all different strategies. But, you know, there were big days. I mean, there were days where you can't... You actually physically can't eat enough to satisfy the mm. calorie burn. And I, well, I loved it, though. Like, I loved it. I love the training. I really do. Oh, you have to for that amount of training. I, I love the... Uh, my, it's you know, sort of an Eastern Buddhism philosophy of yeah. constant improvement and constant evolution. Yeah. Just always trying to turn that dial. More... Yeah, you people don't want to hurt themselves, so it's more on the skill side of things. So when you said earlier about looking for things that I can do that are a little bit better or things that the coach sees that can do a little bit better, is that part of it? It's almost this search for, I need to find something that I can do better. Does that help yeah. train yeah, focus? Yeah, absolutely. You're just always trying to improve. Hmm. I mean, you think, for those that are listening, if anyone thinks they've done something really well, I guarantee you know, just with some time of reflection that you'll find a way to actually... Actually, I could have done that a little bit better. Well, yeah. there it is. Mm. Yeah, work on that. 
a little bit better. And so you, even when you've done something incredibly well, and, you know, that racing 92, I mean, we thought there was no way we could possibly row any better than that. And we actually took 18 months after that because we thought there's no way we can improve until yeah. we realised, well, actually, yeah, we could have done this a little bit better or, our tra- you know, the training technology, the, the, um, the physiologists had found new and better ways of improving different aspects of your physiology. So, OK, well, there's an improvement. And we're looking for, like, one, one and a half percent improvement over a four-year period. Yeah. So... Um, which it's just that very significant. Yeah, and it's just that mindset of you think you've done something perfectly well, there's probably a better way to do it. Yeah. And all of those traits go straight into, you know, into golf as well and any other sport. Yeah, absolutely. Like, flush one, you go, oh, but wouldn't that be nice if it's just two foot of fade <laughs> just coming down instead of dead straight? You know, or you wouldn't be great if I could do that same shot, but... Yeah, from 150, it's finished next to the pin. Why didn't it go in? Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. I mean, if you if you, it boils down to that, I mean, what are you aiming at? Are you aiming at the the fringe of the green, the green, ten foot circle, three foot circle, or in the hole? Yeah. And as you get better and better, that's going to clearly come in. Yeah. <laughs> if you're really good, they're going to go in every time. Yeah. So <laughs> every time you miss, there's a place to improve. Yeah. So golf's perfect because you're failing all the time. <laughs> I mean, the game's about failure. Yeah. Yeah, you're aiming to sink it at 150 metres. I mean, how many times are you going to do that? Mm. So you fail mm. in your intent. I mean, if that's what you're trying to do. But um, So, yeah, there's constant learning. It is. I think the average, the average player plays to their handicap about once every six or seven rounds. Right. In a, in a professional golf tournament, you know, you have 140, 150 people teed up. Yeah. One person wins. Yes. So, and the majority go home after two rounds. In any other in any other event, uh, you know, the major amateur tournaments in Australia, say the Australian Amateur Championship, has around mm. uh, about two hundred and eighty entrants. Yeah, right. One winner. Yeah. Out of two hundred and eighty. Mm. Yeah. So you know, with and that's sometimes that's really difficult to get your head around. And again, coming back to what we we're talking about before about confidence, yeah, not worrying about the outcome. Let's just row as well as we possibly can. Yeah. As fast as we possibly can, perfect technique. We've trained brilliantly for the last three years and prepared ourselves. And if we nail it and someone beats us, well, bloody hell, you know, <laughs> what else can you do? And congratulations, that is a brilliant result. Yeah. So, so with major championships, you've got the best athletes, the best crews in the world uh, coming together. So the competitiveness is going to be really, really strong. And I would imagine that you would have known pretty closely what the other teams were likely to do based yeah, on absolutely, events yeah. and things like yeah. that. So when it's really, really close, does it get to a point where it's us and them, like a match play in golf? Yeah, I mean, you, you're spot on. You, you know exactly how the other crews... Well, not exactly, but broadly... Yeah, you know, leopard doesn't change its spot. Yeah. So you know how they're going to race. And some are fast starting, some are fast finishing, some are even paced, all this sort of stuff. Some you know you can rattle, you know, if you if you change your race plan or attack theirs. So I guess it is, but when you know you're sort of quicker in every aspect, it's nice. Mm. You're expecting them to try and rattle you, but uh, that's just working out... I mean, again, at the end of the day, you go from the start to the finish line as fast as you possibly can. Mm. 
whether you're coming from behind or leading from the first stroke, it doesn't really matter. But whatever suits you, to because the fastest time is going to win the race. Yeah. So I mean that should be your first and foremost thought, I think. But then being aware of your competitor, of how. Yeah, you know, like 90s, sort of two, 92 we knew we were the fastest, 2004 we knew we were the fastest, and 96 we knew if we were within half a length at the halfway mark we'd probably win. Yeah. So the goal was to get there within half a length, knowing that we were faster over the second half of the race than pretty much everyone. And we also knew that the other crews knew that that was mm. the case. <laughs> so yeah, you sort of got to be aware of your opposition. But also stick to stick to your knitting. Yeah, and I think they're the messages that sort of have come through is you know really making sure that you have a strong process in place and that you do the work and and then back yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we were. I mean, yeah, we were quite comfortable being behind in the first part of the race because we we knew you know we got that confidence and we knew we'd done we knew we were fit enough. Absolutely. And we knew that our technique would hold together when all hell's going on all around you, and you, you know, you are absolutely on the limit that that's going to hold together. So you know that you know you're really well conditioned. You've got that shared commitment amongst your crewmates. Mm. So your message for athletes that, that want to perform well under pressure would be would be what? Do a bucket load of preparation for starters, and practice putting yourself under pressure mm. instead of doing the five 1,000 metre pieces. I mean, sure, that might be a training session, but if you want to test speed once a month or once a, every two weeks to see what improvements you're making, do a one-off. Mm. Like, make it really count. There's no second chances. And that's, you know, you're practising putting yourself in that environment. Mm. Everything you do for preparation, do it perfectly. Yeah. In the gym, do the perfect squat. You know, we used to play tennis for training, as, again, to get away for speed and agility and, um, and athleticism. Well, you know, try and hit a forehand like Federer. Yeah. You know, why not? It's the best in the world. Try, you know, I try and swing like Adam Scott, and you just saw Tiger Woods or whoever it is. That's, um, you know, and coming back to golf, I mean, God, how many weird swings do you see on the golf course? You think that, do you think any professional golfer hits like that? Why would you... Surely they've got an idea of what they're doing. Yeah. Why would you do it? Why not just copy the best? So that was... The, so, yeah, everything we did, we tried to do as well as we possibly could. So it's about standards too. Absolutely. And, yeah, Ron Barassi, perfect practice. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes yeah. perfect. If you do everything as well as you possibly can, whether it's, you know, your rowing or your recovery or your squats and bench pulls and chin-ups and running technique or whatever it is, it becomes automatic. Yeah. So in the race, the race is as good as it could possibly be. And when you're under duress, it just reverts back to normal, which is as good as it possibly can be. So it's sort of like a way of life almost. Yeah. That's a great way to finish. James, thanks very much. <laughs> I'm going to go thanks, another bucket Thanks now. for your time. I think we're both <laughs> going to go and hit some. <laughs> thanks, James. Thank you.